Well, church, it's time for a word from God. Why don't we put our hands together and thank God? Listen, it is the second month of the year. Can you imagine that? Can you believe that? This year is passing by so quickly. After a long year that snailed by last year, this year is passing quickly. And how many of you are grateful to God that you are still thriving, you're still here, you haven't given up? Come on, let's, that's a reason to give God praise right now for how good God has been to us. If you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 17. Let's get right into it. Luke chapter 17, we're going to start in verse 11 and go down to verse 19. And we've been going through something called, this is how we do it. That's our sermon series. And we've been talking about principles, God's way for God's results. And if you want God's way, I want you to type in the comments, I want God's way. Type that in the comments, I want God's way. I may do it like someone else and I may get different results. They may be positive to other people, but I want to do things God's way. This is all rooted in our prophetic theme for 2021, which is that for NDCC Pensacola, the prophetic theme is 2021 is the year of alignment, the year of alignment. That means putting things in order and coming into agreement with things that God has said, order and honor. Why don't you type that in the comments? Order and honor. It's the year of alignment. So we're trying to give you some theoretical advice, some theoretical theology and high-level principles, but also some practical things that you can take with you. And last week, we talked about this principle, this practical idea, task of Sabbath and Sabbath rest. And I encourage you to go back and watch Wednesday night as well, because I go a little bit deeper into this concept and this idea of Sabbath. But today, we're going to talk about something that also will determine much of our alignment with God. And the story that we're dealing with is very familiar. Luke chapter 17, verse 11, it says, Now on his, Jesus' way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priest." And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Verse 19, it says, then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Will you pray with me right now? God in heaven, we acknowledge your presence in this place. We thank you for this day that you have given to us. We never pass through a day without saying thank you for the fact that we are alive, that we are still breathing. And God, we ask right now that you would breathe upon this preaching moment, that this would not just be a lecture, but that this would be a spirit-empowered, fiery sermon that people's lives would be touched and changed, that hearts would be transformed, that chains would be broken, that yokes would be destroyed. God, that people's lives would be saved, that they would be redeemed from the curse. And God, that we can truly exhibit the character that you have called us to. 
God, we may be bringing a whole bunch of things into this moment, but in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. God, we acknowledge your presence right now. Wherever we are, we might be in our living room or in our garage or in our kitchen or in our bedroom. We might be with screaming children or we might be playing the silent treatment with our spouses. Whatever it may be, God, I pray that you would break through right now, that your spirit would be present, that your spirit would sweep through rooms and transform hearts and unite families right now in the name of Jesus. God, as I preach this word, you have chosen a flawed vessel to proclaim your truth. There can't be a fire in anyone's place if there is an iceberg behind this pulpit. So God, would you light me on fire that I may burn for you, burn for your truth, burn for your love, burn for your justice. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer in whom I trust. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. You know, much of life, it is rooted around this concept of this one question, what will make me happy? What will make me happy? As a matter of fact, many of us are constantly thinking about it subconsciously. We just don't realize that we are. We're thinking about the fact that we are happy. Perhaps you say it in a negative context. When you feel that you are unhappy or displeased with your current lot in life, you might say, I'm feeling very unhappy. Or perhaps when things are going your way, you might say, I feel really happy right now. Anybody understand this concept, this idea that much of life is rooted and centered around this idea of happiness. About 10 years ago, though, some scientists got together and they figured that they had cracked the neuroscientific code to happiness. They felt as though they had come up with the secret formula, the plan that would make it clear what would make human beings happy. And now I know you're probably on the edge of your seat because if you're like me, you want a life that is marked and centered around the idea of happiness. Yes, it may not come in the way that everyone expects it to. Yes, it may not look the way you expect to or I expect to, but I think there's a lot of us, if not all of us, that would say, honestly, I desire to be happy. If that's you, why don't you put your hand up? If you desire to be happy, put a hand up in the, in the comments. Put an emoji hand in the comments. And these group of scientists, they figured out the practice that will make people happy. These are doctors Blair and Rita Justice. They reported from the University of Texas Health and Science Center that a growing body of research shows that this particular practice is truly amazing in its physical and psychosocial benefits. In one study on, on this particular practice, a doctor named Robert Emmons at U University of California and his colleague Mike McCullough at the University of Miami, they put together this test trial and they came to the same exact conclusion as doctors Blair and Rita Justice. They said that if you do this one practice on a consistent basis, it will transform your personal happiness. Uh, let me take it a step further. Of course, as you just saw, it's about to be Valentine's Day. They actually said if you do this particular practice, you would have a happy and healthy marriage. That those who did this practice would have a 90% success rate in a healthy marriage versus those who did not. Now, if you've been on the edge of your seat, now I'm on the edge of my seat trying to figure out what will it be that will make not just me, but also my relationship with my wife happier, my relationship with my family happier. You may be a little frustrated by how simplistic it is. It is simply this reality. They found that the particular practice that is amazing and transformative in its physical and psychosocial benefits is the practice of gratitude. 
I know it seems like that's nothing too special. I know it doesn't seem like something deep. It doesn't seem like something that's fascinating to the outside person. But this particular study, they randomly assigned the participants and they gave them one of three tasks. Each week, participants kept a short journal. One group briefly described five things they were grateful for that had occurred in the past week. Another five recorded daily hassles from the previous week that displeased them. And the neutral group was asked to list five events or circumstances that affected them, but they were not told whether to focus on the positive or the negative. Ten weeks later, participants in the gratitude group, they felt better about their lives as a whole and were a full 25% happier than the hassle group. They reported fewer health complaints and exercised an average of one and a half hours more each day. The principle of gratitude, what Drs. Justice and Dr. Edmonds and Dr. McCullough were trying to communicate to us and trying to communicate through this study is that without gratitude, not only you, but your relationships on earth will suffer. Without the principle and the practice of gratitude, you will not have full and flourishing relationships. Well, church, as you know, as it is in the natural, so it is in the spiritual. As it is horizontally, so it is vertically. I'm here to tell you, and this may frustrate you because it's so maddeningly simple, but your relationship with God will flounder and won't flourish if you don't incorporate the practice of gratitude. If you are not someone who is consumed and convinced about the idea of giving thanks to God in all circumstances, in all times, in in all situations, no matter what you're facing, you will find yourself frustrated. You will find yourself turning around. You will find yourself and your relationship with God suffering. That gratitude is the key. Gratitude is the thing. It's the secret sauce. And many of us don't realize it, but just simply saying thanks to God. It, the, the psalmist puts it like this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. The psalmist is trying to teach us that in every situation, we are supposed to keep words of gratitude on the tips of our tongue. How many of you are thankful for all that God has done for you? How many of you believe that God has done some great things in your life? How many of you believe that God hasn't just done some past things that are great, but God is continuing to do some great things? God will do even greater things. Can we put our hands together and give some gratitude? The sermon hadn't even really started yet. I'm just telling you, it's important for us to keep gratitude on our lips. And where gratitude is missing, our relationship with God will suffer. I was asking myself this question, what would keep us from displaying gratitude to God? I came away with two things. That, and some of us, we, we may think that gratitude is beneath us. You know, we've been serving Jesus for so long. You know, we've been in this Christian game for so many years. We are now pastors and elders and deacons and leaders and we're seasoned saints and we're Christians who have done the thing before and we already know all the cues and we think that gratitude is beneath us. We think that gratitude is something for the youthful, zealous people, the people who just got saved. You know, they haven't gone through the tough trials of life so they themselves don't operate in a sense where they understand that gratitude is a sometimey type of thing. But I, I I think someone needs to hear that you never outgrow gratitude in the kingdom of God. You never graduate beyond gratitude. As a matter of fact, you don't graduate beyond gratitude. You graduate into deeper levels of gratitude. You graduate to thanking God about things that you would never imagine thanking God for. Why? Because the closer you get to God, 
The closer you get to the presence of God, the closer you get in the proximity of God, the more thankful you are that God saved you, the more thankful you are that God redeemed you, the more thankful you are that God sanctified you, the more thankful you are that God brought you out. Is there anybody who's been saved for a long time that says, I'm not going to lose my gratitude. I'm not going to lose my thanks. I'm not going to lose my hallelujah. I'm not going to lose the gratitude on my lips. I'm going to keep being grateful. Maybe you think it's beneath you. Maybe secondarily, you think it's beyond you. This is a a different group of people. These aren't the people who have been saved for a long time. These are the people who have gone through so much stuff that they can't fathom being grateful to God about anything. Is that you? And listen, I'm here. I don't don't say this with condemnation. I don't say this beating you over the top of the head. I say this understanding that in the midst of a global pandemic, in the midst of a time where we are in an economic crisis, In the midst of uncertainty all around us, in the midst of political instability, there is a legitimate question about whether or not God is in control of certain aspects of society. And many of us are so confused that we have expressed doubt. I'm here to tell you there's nothing wrong with expressing that doubt. There's nothing wrong with expressing that to God. There's nothing wrong with being honest about what you feel and saying, God, I doubt certain areas of my walk. I doubt certain areas of my life. But I want to encourage you with something. That in the midst of your doubt, you still have a reason to give God thanks. Let me put it like this. I might have doubt about some things, but that shouldn't keep me from praising God for the things I already know. I might have doubt about some things I don't know, but that shouldn't keep me from praising God for the things I do know. I may not know what God is going to do globally with the pandemic. I may not know what God is going to do in my job situation two to three years from now. I may not know what's going to happen with my loved ones and with my friends and my family members. But here's what I know. I know that today I woke up and I had a right mind. I know that today I woke up and I had the activity of my limbs. I know that today I woke up and my lungs still worked. My heart was still beating. My diaphragm still went up and down. My limbs still move. I know that I woke up today and I had a roof over my head. I know I woke up today and I had clothes on my back. I know I woke up today and I had a job that I could clock into. I know I woke up today and I may not be able to thank God for the things I don't know, but I sure enough can give God a praise of gratitude for the things that I do know. Come on, if you know what God has done for you, if you say, and I'm not going to let the things I don't know keep me from praising Jesus for the things that I do know, why don't you put your hands together and lift up your hands and give God a shout of praise. Oh, come on. It doesn't matter if you're not here. You can still give God a shout of praise. You can still put a hallelujah on your lips. You can still tell God, thank you. Thank you, God. Somebody type it in the comments. Thank you, Lord. Oh, y'all got me going today. Y'all got me going today. We're talking about gratitude. This is how we do it. This is how we get aligned with God. We get aligned with God when we start agreeing and thanking God with gratitude for the things that God has done for us. Perhaps some of you are saying, preacher, I don't know. I don't know what gratitude looks like. For those of you who are honest and you're saying, I have never heard a definition of gratitude. Let me break it down for you. Gratitude is a holistic life response to a good gift. Gratitude is a holistic life response to a good gift. It's not just words, it's worship. It's not just talking good, it's living right. (laughs) It's not just us saying it with our lips, but it's us matching it with the way that we walk in public. It's us matching it with our ethics. It's not just good theology, it's also good ethics and practices as well. And it's so difficult for us that the Bible tells us numerous times that we are called to give thanks. 
Oh, give thanks unto the Lord at all times, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through. Uh, one man puts it like this. He said, the hardest math to master is that which enables us to count our blessings. That the hardest thing for us to figure out, the hardest thing for us to count are our blessings. And, and, and I'm here to, to revive someone's gratitude today. I'm here to revive someone's gratitude by using a familiar story. Luke chapter 17, it tells us that Jesus was on the tail end of his earthly life and ministry. He was traveling to the place of Jerusalem, and he got caught in the border between Samaria and Galilee. And in the midst of being caught in between these two cities, he goes to a village. And when he goes to a village, he comes in contact with ten lepers. Now, now for those of you who are unaware, leprosy is a problem. Leprosy is not just something simply like COVID-19 or the flu. Leprosy is a deadly illness. It has mass deadly effects. It's taken to a whole nother degree of what we face today. And, and part of the reason we don't see a lot of leprosy is because of modern medicine and common cleanliness. And so we don't have the same things. We have indoor plumbing. We have filtration systems. There are some things that are preventing leprosy from being an outbreak here in this particular country. But back in that time, leprosy was a flesh-eating disease. Leprosy was high, caused hyperpigmentation. Leprosy would rot the skin. Leprosy would cause body parts to fall off. And so as a result, in, in Leviticus chapter 17, God establishes some specific rules for those who were lepers. And so the entire country would, would adhere to these rules. These rules are very simple. You would have to stay away from people. You would have to truly be socially distanced. You would have to be away from people outside of the city gates because one thing I failed to mention is that leprosy is contagious. It is rapidly contagious. It moves with the quickness. It will hop onto people and then be shared with just a brush of contact. So they would have to wear certain types of clothing to prevent themselves from being exposed to this leprosy. And so these lepers are seeing Jesus, the 10 lepers. They see Jesus. He's on the move, as Jesus always is. And they try to get Jesus' attention. They say, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Uh, think about this. Jesus is having mercy on people who cry out to him. I don't know about you. I'm, I'm thankful that God listens when I cry, that God listens when I petition, when I call out for God's name, when I call out in the midnight hour, when I call out even while I'm driving. No matter where I am, God can still hear. And God doesn't just hear, but God looks as well. And Jesus sees them, and he immediately says something to them. He says, go, show yourselves to the priest. And on the way, as as they were walking together to go and show themselves to the priests in a particular city, they realized that they were being healed. And then I love this one. He comes to a realization. He says, hey, I didn't thank him. I didn't thank that, that guy who, who told me that I was going to be healed. I didn't thank that guy who told me and instructed me to go and show myself to the priest. So he turns around and then Jesus shows up in, in, in the story. And after he sees this man lay down and and, and, and cry out with a loud voice, praising God, Jesus turns into petty Jesus. You know, I, I like petty Jesus. I'm, I'm still working on my petty. Y'all pray for me. But I like petty Jesus. See, petty Jesus is the one who reads your mail. Petty Jesus is the one who got a slick comment. Jesus, I can see the sarcasm dripping from the son of man's mouth. He says, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. I, I, was, I was moving quickly. Did I get that right? I thought I saw 10 of y'all. 
I, I counted quickly. You know, I'm moving quickly. I ain't that great at math, even though I'm the son of God. I ain't that great at math. But, you know, I was looking around. I counted, and I saw 10 of y'all. But, but it's only one of y'all. Where are the other nine? I love petty Jesus. We can call him black Jesus, you know, because black people are petty. But here's the thing. I love petty Jesus. Petty Jesus points him out. He looks and he says, you know what? Hold up. Where are the other nine people? Where are the other nine at? Where are the other nine that got the same cleansing that you got? Where are the people who decided that I'm not good enough and not worthy enough and not gracious enough and not powerful enough for them to inconvenience themselves and turn around and come back and say two words of thanks to me. Where are the people who've been in church this long, who have understood how great and how awesome I am, who I've saved family members for, who I've raised up from the pit, who I've delivered from addiction? Why is it that my church can't say, thank I don't know about you, but I don't want to be like the nine. I don't want to be like the people who got so comfortable and familiar with Jesus that they felt as though they didn't have any reason to inconvenience themselves and go back around and say thank you to my God. If it's just one word, if it's an hour of words, if it's me laying out, if it's me giving something away, I want to say thank you to God. I want there to be a gratitude word on my lips. And I think we have to step back here and we have to ask the question, why is it that some didn't say thank you, and one did. There's two categories of people here. What kept them? They are contrasting categories of human beings. What kept them from saying, not saying thank you, and him from saying thank you? I think there are three things that we can see. The first, it's found here in the top of this passage. Verse 11, it says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. First thing that's contrasted, why the nine didn't respond with gratitude, can I use my holy imagination? I think it was their cultural identity. I think it was their cultural identity. Now it says here that he's on the border between Samaria and Galilee. Then it says later on in verse 16 that the person who came back and thanked him was a Samaritan, not a Galilean. So scholars have deduced that the nine who didn't thank Jesus were Galileans, not Samaritans. And the Galileans had a particular proximity to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus himself was a Galilean. Most, if not all, except for one of his disciples, was also a Galilean. Jesus did a lot of his miracles in Galilee. Jesus was present in Galilee. And I think there might have been a cultural identity issue here where certain people from a culture that was more proximate to Jesus in their mind thought that they had it in with Jesus. They thought that they had particular access to Jesus. Uh, maybe I can put it like this. The Galileans, the lepers, they forgot where they came from. They, they forgot where they came from. They forgot what, what they were dealing with. They forgot their past. They forgot where they were when Jesus found them. They forgot where they were. And, and I, I fear that there are maybe perhaps some, some cultures, not just ethnic cultures, but also some Christian cultures that have forgotten that they, just because they have proximity to Jesus, doesn't mean that Jesus is entitled to save them. Doesn't mean that Jesus is entitled to heal them. See, church, there's a difference between expectation and entitlement. Expectation, it says, I, because I believe so. Entitlement says, because I said so. And most of us have, unfortunately, based upon our culture, we have, we have a particular entitlement idea about Jesus. 
We think that Jesus is supposed to save and Jesus is supposed to heal because that's what Jesus does. And I put in my tithe and I put in my offering and I show up to online church and I clap when they say clap. But here's the thing, Jesus is entitled to save. So I don't have to go to, to, to Monday morning and, and Saturday afternoon and Wednesday evening and Thursday midday and give God thanks. I already did what God told me to do. As a matter of fact, God understands I'm close to God. See, that's an entitlement idea. The entitlement idea, it's infected entire theologies. And it's made us expect certain things from God that God didn't promise. Can I, can I meddle a little bit? Can I push it a little bit? Some of us have seen that there are certain theologies that say, well, because we pray a certain way to God, God's going to structure the government the way we want it. God's going to structure things to look like who we want in office. God's going to structure things to be in the way that we want it to be. God's going to structure things in our way. They have an entitlement idea. They're saying things God didn't even say. They're prophesying things that God didn't ratify. It ain't the spirit of God. It's the spirit, but it ain't the spirit of God. They got an entitlement, and it's, it has poisoned their theology enough to believe that God is entitled to move. But, but I'm here to tell you that it's important for us not to be entitled, but for us to have expectation. And expectation is the humble belief that I have so much faith in God that I believe in the power of God, that I'm grateful to God, and I have a gratefulness on my lips regardless of whether or not God changes my situation. You see, the other culture that was represented was the Samaritan. And the Samaritans were looked down upon in the Jewish culture because they were biracial. They were looked down upon because they weren't the type of people that people want to be seen with. They were the outcasts. They were the marginalized. But yet the Samaritan had enough sense even though he didn't grow up around Jesus, and even though he didn't come from the same city that Jesus came from, and even though he came from a culture that was at war with Jesus, the Samaritan remembered where he came from. See, you thank God differently when you remember where you come from. You thank God differently when you keep your testimony front of mind. Your testimony is going to keep you from being entitled. Your testimony is going to remind you to have expectation, not entitlement, because many of us have come to assume that God is supposed to work rather than believing that God will work and being thankful after God does work. And what happened is the Galileans, they said, I already know what Jesus is going to do. I already know what Jesus is going to say. I already know how Jesus is going to move. And is that like us, church? Is that like us as believers who have become so familiar with our proximity to Jesus and the rituals and the things that we say are Christian that we start to act as though we're entitled to see God move? We're entitled to see what God is going to do. And then we don't have to thank God after he does it. And then we can look around and say, well, you know, that's how God works. But I think there are a couple of people who have dropped the entitlement, who say I'm coming with expectation and a humble expectation because I remember where I was when Jesus found me. I remember where I was when Jesus saved me. I remember what I was caught up in when I cried out, God have mercy. I don't, I don't forget the times when I was on my face. I don't forget the times when I was crying out and reaching out and I didn't have anybody to call, so I called on Jesus. And when I called on Jesus, Jesus showed up. So I'm not going to forget that Jesus showed up. I'm going to come back and say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. We love you, God. I honor you, God. My gratitude is high, God, because I'm not, in, I know you're not entitled to move from me. I'm not entitled, but I have expectation, and maybe it was their cultural identity. Maybe, verse 14, watch this. Maybe it was their spiritual responsibility. These two groups, the nine and the one, had different spiritual responsibilities. Notice what Jesus says. 
Jesus sees them. He said, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with what it means when someone with leprosy goes and shows themselves to the priest, it's very simple. They've been outcasted from society. Now, if they want to bring themselves back into society, what they have to do is they have to be examined by the priest to prove that they don't have leprosy anymore. Jesus is telling them what to do. And scholars have said that perhaps the nine didn't come back because they were obeying the words of Jesus. They were doing what Jesus told them, right? Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priest. So why would Jesus hold it against them to come back and turn around? The problem, though, is they forgot the spiritual responsibility. They forgot the fact that even though Jesus had told them to do something, they forget the fact that there's a difference between doing what Jesus said and thanking Jesus for what he did. We have to be careful about being so caught up in doing what Jesus said that we miss thanking Jesus for what he did. And some of us have been caught up in the ritual and the tradition and the religiosity of church that we don't spend time thanking Jesus. Why? Because we're too busy doing what Jesus said, doing what Jesus told us to do. And we think, even though we've been saved by grace, and now we're going to present a whole bunch of works to Jesus. So here's what we do. We say, God, I did all this stuff for you. And what does Matthew 7 say? Jesus is going to look at a lot of people who cast out demons and saved people and laid hands and raised people from the dead. And what's he going to say? Depart from me, workers of iniquity. Why? I never knew you. I didn't even know who you were. You were doing things on my behalf, but you didn't have a relationship with me. See, I don't want to get so caught up in my spiritual responsibility and my religious ritual and my traditions and my traditionalism that I forget the point of all the traditions. The traditionalism is supposed to point me to the person who established a tradition in the first place. And some of us need to be reminded that just because you're doing for God doesn't mean you have a relationship with God. Just because you're doing for God doesn't mean you truly thank God. Doesn't mean you truly had gratitude to God. Doesn't mean you've gotten God. God's presence and say, God, I thank you for all that you have done for me. I set aside my time and I set aside my religious rituals and my traditions and I say, God, thank you for all that you've done. That's different than just doing for God. And some of us need to hear this. We've been so caught up in doing that we've lost our gratitude. We've lost our thanks. We've lost our hallelujah. We've lost our thank you, Jesus. We've lost it, not because we were doing something bad, but because we were doing something good that's less than God. And I want to remind you, let your spiritual responsibility be to go back and thank the high priest. See, this is the interesting thing. The Samaritan heard, go show yourselves to the priest. And he might have heard it differently because he might have realized in that moment, there are priests there, but the high priest is there. <laughs> there are priests this way, but the high priest is back that way. He went to the right priest. And he said, thank you, praising God, throwing himself out. I'm not going to jump ahead. I'm going to get to it in a second. Let's, let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> the final point here, not just a cultural identity, not just a different spiritual responsibility. Finally, they had a different urgent priority. They had a different urgent priority. One of them, it said, when he saw he was healed, came back. And you know what he did? He was praising God, but he wasn't just praising God anyway. Dr. Luke takes great pains to tell us that he was praising God in a loud voice. He had an urgent priority. You, you know, scholars, they, they, they've done the same thing I'm doing. You know, they, they speculate on certain things. 
They say, you know, maybe these people, they had families they had to get back to. Maybe they had jobs they had to apply for. And say, hey, I'm back. Can I get my job? I got to provide for my family. Maybe they were engaged or betrothed to be married before they got leprosy. And they're trying to find their beloved and trying to see if they can rekindle that relationship. Maybe they had fathers and mothers to go to. Maybe they had pressing family issues that they had to attend to. Maybe they were just hungry and they, they had to sit down and eat. Maybe they had different priorities. But the Samaritan man, he turns around and he says, no, my first priority is praise. My first priority isn't just praise. It's praise in a loud voice. There's this um, interesting meme. And this meme is, is funny to me because it's something that makes me laugh. It's something that I enjoy hearing, not because it's personally relevant to me, but it's just funny whenever I see it because I think it's true. This meme, it goes like this. It says, make sure your apology is as loud as your disrespect was. <laughs> now, for some of the seasoned saints, you might not know what that means. That's just urban vernacular. We're just trying to communicate to our haters and our doubters. And it's true. I think we sometimes spend a little bit too much time communicating to haters that may or may not exist. It's true. And I'm not saying that this applies to me personally. If you got a problem with me, work that out between you and God. I don't have energy for it. I'm trying to do what God has told me to do. But here's the interesting thing. I think there's some truth in this meme. Make sure your apology is as loud as your disrespect was. If you're going to disrespect somebody and doubt that they're capable of doing it, then your apology, once they do it, needs to be just as loud as the doubt and disrespect you gave them in the first place. There's something about, as we call, keeping the same energy. Keep the same energy when you doubt me and then when I come through. Can I go back to petty Jesus here? I think this is what petty Jesus was saying. Petty Jesus, a.k.a. black Jesus, was saying this. He was saying, hold up now. When you needed me, you were willing to cry out and get my attention. But when I came through for you, now you're silent on the back end, even after you cried with a loud voice. Hold up, wait a second. Make your praise as loud as your prayer was. Make your hallelujah just as loud as your cry for help was. Make your praise just as loud as your petition was. Keep the same energy with me. Don't just call out for me to come, and then when I come, you go silent and act like I don't exist. Don't just cry out for me, and then after I come through for you, you act like you an atheist and you don't believe in God. No, no, no. Keep the same energy. Make sure that the apology, make sure that the praise is as loud as your petition was. And and I think there's a couple of people who need to hear this. Remember how high and how loud you were praising God in your time of need? You better keep the same energy when it comes time to praise that same God. When it comes time to give God gratitude, when it comes time to shout and dance, you better keep the same energy with that God that you were praying and crying to show up. And some of us need to hear this because there's a reality that some of us feel as though praising God is beneath us. There was this one guy one time, he came to my father and he said, hey, I see you got that church on television years ago. He said, yeah. He said, you should come through sometime. And he said, you know, I would do that, but I, I see how y'all praise God. And huh, what if someone lays on me? What if someone falls on me? What if someone steps on my toes? Well, what do I do? My dad looked back at him, he said, Join in. <laughs> Shout with them. 
He said, yeah, but you see, I don't, I don't really, I, I don't do that. I don't believe in that. I, I can see the, the emails now. I can see people thinking in your thoughts, that ain't really my, ain't really my style, pastor. I keep it internal. I'm an introvert, you know. I know this is an expressive church, but the reality is I'm an introvert. I get you. I'm an introvert too. But there's something about the reality that at a certain point, you can't just think praise. You got to speak praise. <laughs> you can't just think thanks to God. You got to say it with your mouth. You got to move with your body. And I know it may seem like that's anti your personality or anti what you were expecting to do, anti your belief system. But, but there is a, a level to which this Samaritan praise God that we ought to take and understand and apply to our own lives that we can't just think praise in our head. We got to shout praise with our mouth. We can't just think praise in our minds. We got to say praise and speak praise and holler praise and dance praise with our vocal cords. Why? Well, I'll put it like this. My first job in college, I was working for a radio station. You know, a lot of people have this misconception about broadcasting. They think that if you're broadcasting, you're just in front of the camera. That's not true. You broadcast, and it typically means you're behind the camera. You're producing. You're storing things. You're queuing things up. And so we had a content library that was on loop at this particular radio station. And I remember the first day I got trained on how to mix things on air. So basically, the, the whole sound was in my hands. And I felt so powerful and important. My trainer, Paul, he said, this is how we do it. And he proceeded to do six different steps. Now me trying to add value to the room. I was the youngest employee that they had ever hired. And so I felt as though I was a person that needed to prove myself. I said, yeah, but Paul, here's the thing. You gave me six steps, but I only need three to make it work. And he said, yeah, but you know, they like to do the six steps. I said, but see, here's the thing. My style is if I go three right here, it's easier to go a six right there. He said, well, bring it up to the boss and see what he says. Brought it up to the boss. And he said, no, that's not really what we do. I see what you're saying, but that's not really what we do. Just do the six steps. And I said, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, but isn't it more efficient? This is more efficient. This is better. And so when it came time for me to do the on air, I mean, you know, I just did the three steps because it was most efficient. It was in my style. It was the thing that I thought I should do. And the boss came up to me afterwards. He said, hey, did you do the six steps that we trained? And he sa I said, well, you know, I did the three steps, you know, because it's, it's better. It's easier for my style. It's easier for my hands. It's smooth. Like, it sounds better. Like, you know what I'm saying? I, I just do it like this. He said, did Paul train you right? I said, yeah, Paul trained me, right? Paul trained me on the six-step method, but I got the three-step method. I think that's more my style. He said, you know what, Tyler? He said, one day when you have your own station and you have your own show, you can have your own rules and you can train your, your employees and the people around you and your coworkers however you want to train them. You can set your own standards. But as long as I'm providing the building and I'm providing the training and I'm paying you and I'm telling you what needs to be done, you got to do it my way. And I think God is looking down from heaven at those of us who are too dignified to give God praise. You know what he's saying? When you can provide the body and when you can provide the breath 
And when you can provide the breakthrough, and when you can provide the miracle, and when you can provide the deliverance, and when you're omnipotent, and when you're omniscient, and when you're omnipresent, and when you're all-knowing, and when you're all-wise, and when you can beat the devil down by yourself, and when you can conquer the situations that leave you confounded, when you can conquer sin, death, hell, and the grave, you can praise however you want. But since I'm providing the body, and since I'm providing the breath, and since I'm providing the limbs that you're using to praise, you better praise me my way. And my way is, oh, give thanks, lift up a shout of praise, go crazy, give God all the praise that you can, lift up a shout to God, because that's the way he told us to do it. That's the way he wants to hear it. That's the gratitude that he needs to hear. And so for those of us who are saying, it ain't an urgent priority, may I wake you up and say, you ought to stand to your feet right now, lift up your hands, and even if you don't shout like me and sweat like me and dance like me and point like me and move your arms like me, you can still say thank you. You can still say hallelujah. You can still say praise your name. You can still say bless you. You can still say from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, his name is to be praised. You can still have gratitude, church, and you can do it God's way. You can do it with your whole being. You can do it with all of your physical might. You can praise God the way God wants you to praise God. At a certain point, our personalities, our styles, our priorities go out the window. The priority becomes, I need to praise God. And I need to praise him like he wants me to praise him. I need to praise him with the same physical effort that he did when he died on the cross. When he came down and wrapped himself up in human flesh, keep the same energy. Keep the same energy with God. And give him a thank you. Give him gratitude. Lift up your hands right now wherever you are. And I want you to begin thanking God as only you can. I can't tell you how you're supposed to thank God with what you say and the exact physical movements. That may vary from person to person, but you got to say it out loud. You got to speak it with your mouth. You got to declare it with your tongue. You got to praise him with your lips. Come on, right now, praise God. Right now, wherever you are, lift up gratitude. Lift up a thanksgiving shout. Lift up a thanksgiving worship. Wave your hands in his presence and say, thank you, God. I thank you, God. Gratitude, that's how we do it. We're thankful to God. That aligns us with God. We can't get anything from God and accomplish anything for God if we're not grateful to God. That's what he's called for us to do. Right now, I pray that there is a spirit of gratitude that is resting upon each one of you, that is resting upon the children of God. And I pray that God would give you divine remembrance, that he would erase spiritual amnesia and give you the divine remembrance to say, I remember where God was when he found me. And when Jesus found me, I wasn't on my best day. I wasn't doing the best thing. I wasn't involved in the thing that I should have been. But yet still, Jesus still saved me. And so I won't forget where I come from. I won't act as though I'm familiar with Jesus in my proximity, in my personhood, in my familiarity, that I have this mentality that I expect Jesus, I'm entitled for Jesus. No, I have expectation that is humble, that is true, that is pure. And God, I come before you right now and ask that you would remind us of our true spiritual responsibility. It is not to do for you without being with you. May we not deceive ourselves and fool ourselves into thinking 
that we can just work our way out of that responsibility. And God, finally, I pray that we make it an urgent priority, as urgent as these men were to go and see the priest, and as urgent as this Samaritan man was for, to go back and thank God and praise with a loud voice. I pray that we would keep that same energy, the same energy we use to pray to you and petition you. May we praise you with the same energy. God, would you lead us, would you guide us on our knees this week to be thankful and grateful like never before. You are worthy to be praised, God. We are grateful to you, God. It is gratefulness that's flowing from our hearts. It is a thanksgiving that is on our lips. And may it permeate every area of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Amen, church. Go and be grateful this week. I love you. Well, hey, everybody, this is Pastor Tyler again. Thank you so much for tuning in to the NDCC online worship experience. So if you want to take a step in God, I want to pause here. You know, normally I just breeze through this and say, hey, you can just put home in the comments or text home to the number at the bottom of the screen. But I think there might be someone out there who genuinely wants to have an encounter with God who wants to make a decision to follow Jesus. If that's you, I just want you to lift up your hands right now. You can type home in the comments, but right now, first, I just want you to lift up your hands. And I just want you to say, even repeating after me, if that's you, you say, God, I wanna give my life to you for real this time. I wanna follow you in everything that I say and I do, transform and change my life. Lift up your hands and say, God, come into my heart and save me. I repent of my sins. I repent of the way that I've been going, and I just want to follow you. Thank you for the example of Jesus. Thank you for what he's done on the cross. Thank you that he's an alive and risen, and thank you that I can make the choice to follow him. Come into my heart and save me. Transform me. Make me new. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, we're so excited. We're proud of you. We want to celebrate you. We want to be excited with you and walk with you as well. You can type home in the comments or text home to the number at the bottom of the screen. It means so much that we're able to introduce Jesus to you. Once again, if you did not have the opportunity to give earlier in the service, you can do so in two ways. You can go to ndccpensacola.org and click offerings or you can mail it in to P.O. Box 6400, Pensacola, Florida, 32503. I hope to see you next week. And until then, be blessed, be safe, be healthy. We love you so much. Peace.